The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Uh, I am reading the scripture today, so would you stand in, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? Uh, we are uh, still in our series of Transformed, of looking at what it means to be the church and be transformed by His grace as the church. This morning, we're going to look at three different passages. They'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, if you want to turn in God's Word, we're beginning in Genesis 2, or 12. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in the name of all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then over in John, flipping over there to chapter 20, we're going to look at two verses, uh, 19, uh, or three verses, 19 through 21. In this passage, um, Jesus gathers with his disciples, and he appears to them. And on the evening that the, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then finally, over in Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This past week, we signed up one of my daughters uh, for soccer. We're out in the the Bluffton area, and we have our uh, Bluffton Youth Leagues. And it's something that I have had the privilege of doing. I didn't play soccer growing up. My wife played soccer. Uh, And and it's it's quite fun. Uh, We're at that stage with our daughter where she's beginning to adapt and learn Uh, the skills of the game. But over the past few years, as I have gone to the soccer field, what I have seen on display is what some would call mob ball. (laughs) Mob ball is a completely uncoordinated, in highly individualistic, flailing of bodies while focused on a ball where more shins are kicked than goals are scored. It is, if you're a parent, if you, have, if you are that parent, I'm, I, I repent, but there are parents who yell at their children and coaches who are frustrated to no end, and even some of the players of this cluster that sort of moves around kicking up dust on the pitch. It's called mob ball. Now, the reason why I say that, and it sort of struck me, is because when you talk about soccer, uh, it's referred to so often as the beautiful game. 
There's nothing beautiful about mob ball. And what's fun with my daughter who's playing this game is she's beginning to get it. That they're stretching the field. We're moving away from the most athletic kid on the field being the one who dominates and controls. They're, they're passing. And they're setting up shots. And they're creating space. And they're beginning to run. And yes, parents are still frustrated. <laughs> and parents are still yelling on the side. But there is this joy that's beginning to emerge. In the game of soccer, one of the reasons why it's considered the beautiful game is the volleys and the chips, the headers. It's the, the penalty kicks, the shot high in the net. It's the, 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 the lunge of the goalie for the block. It's beautiful in the sense of if the team plays together. David, in a sporting sense, can take down Goliath. And so when you watch soccer... And if it's something that you enjoy, I know many of you do, uh, you would be absolutely beside yourself to watch your favorite Premier League team play mob ball. It would be a complete reversion. The reason why I say that to you, and the reason why I bring it up today is because as we have gone through this summer in studying uh, this series on Transformed, what it means as a church to see lives transformed through the power of the gospel. What it means to be that church. What I am convicted of, what I have seen as a pastor and in my own life, is that so often the American church looks a lot more like mob ball, a highly individualistic and uncoordinated effort, than it does the beautiful game. What's happened through this is that over the, the years in the American church, we have sequestered ourselves from culture, creating a parallel subculture. And the hope was that we would build grand campuses and have wonderful ministry programs and that the world would want to come to us. But what's happened over the years and really been accelerated in the last decade is we are no longer a place uh, being desired to, to engage, but we're one that's increasingly considered irrelevant and antiquated. And so what we find as we go through this series and where we're coming today is that we, we find less people who don't know Jesus coming to church and we find a greater need for the church to go to those people. In fact, the North American Mission Board, which is the mission division of the Southern Baptist Convention, noted this idea of the South, of the Bible Belt. And there was an era that the South had this very prominent distinction of being Christian. And, and, and much more so than other parts of the country. According to a recent study of the North American Mission Board, over two-thirds of the Bible Belt is considered living without any relationship with Jesus. What we find is that our efforts in mission and in life 
haven't always been beautiful. And so we, we come in in this, in this series of uh, being transformed. What we want to be is the people that are transformed and sent out on mission. Christopher Wright, a, a theologian, author, a professor, he wrote in his grand book, The Mission of God, he talks about what, what God's doing in the world. And he said, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. God's mission. And so as we step into this service this morning, as, as we consider God's word, what I want us to do is to encounter this, this word that's began to emerge in the last two decades. And that's a word called missional. And as we look at this, what I want us to see is that this is a very healthy tool to understand the narrative, the unfolding drama of redemption in Scripture and how it informs our life much more so than it is a trendy descriptive for a new ministry program. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to begin first by looking at what being missional or sent is not. And then as we move from there and understanding this, we're going to see that we are called to God's mission and we are changed for God's mission. And then as we end, I want us to begin to, rather than having a third point, I just want to sit there and, and sit with this to see where we need to invite God into our lives so that we would be transformed, so that we would be changed, so that we would be commissioned for His mission. So begin, what mission is not? Uh, mission is not mob ball. It, it is not an uncoordinated, highly individualistic effort. It is not opinionated uh, of the loudest voice in the room who gets to say what they think the church ought to be. It's not a separate committee in the church that does mission while everyone else does something else. It's not a better way to do evangelism and it's not the latest church growth strategy. It's not a more efficient way to mobilize people or a trendy fad that's moving along. What we find in Scripture is that mission represents the heart of God. And it is inseparable from who He is. And so what we find is that this is, a, is an idea, this mission of God that, that traces and, and finds its origin way back in Augustine in the 4th century. When he's writing about the city of God and, and looking at the city of heaven and the city of man and, and considering that in the, the realities of what was going on in Rome at that time, that he, he, he framed this idea of the way God should understand, God's people should understand who they are in relation to him. And understand their relationship in God and what they've been called to do in creation. And ultimately to understand the, the unfolding drama of where it's going for the future. And this is an idea that got suppressed at various times, but has begun to be uh, re-emerged. And as it's been re-emerged, what we understand is that we, when we look at Scripture, we can't help but seeing God's mission for His people. 
Now, I'm going to be kind of highbrow here because it's, a, it's an understanding in the sense of a biblical theology of mission. But if we get to the beginning, when God created all things very good, and he set Adam and Eve in his garden, and they were to have dominion and to be fruitful and to multiply, and they were to cultivate within that garden to, to reflect the beauty of their creator, that sin comes in and creates doubt. That they doubt God's goodness. They, div- they doubt his sovereignty. They doubt his sufficiency. They doubt their relationship in response to him. And in that, what they do is they strike all on their own and they reject him as king. They reject him as God and they disobey. Now, if we got to that point in Genesis 3, God has every right to say, scrap it, let's start our all over. He's the creator of the universe. He can do that. But what we find in his missional heart is that he doesn't. He removes Adam and Eve east of Eden. And almost immediately what you find is that there's hope. Seth is born. And then the line continues. And the line that's part of the promise that was in the curse of of the one, the seed from the woman who would crush the serpent's head and that his heel would be bruised. It sets forth this missional enterprise of reclaiming and redeeming and restoring what was marred by sin. And so God sets out in this grand vision. And what you find time and time again is that mission begins with God's call. Mission begins with God's call. Take Genesis 6, for example. God calls Noah. Go build an ark. I'm going to send floods upon the earth. He moves to Moses in the wilderness. And he appears as a a burning bush in this uh, theophany. A burning bush that's not consumed by the flame. And God calls Moses calls Moses to leave the wilderness to go back to Egypt and redeem a people. And he tells him, I will be with you. He calls David in 2 Samuel 7. He says, I'm going to make an eternal covenant with you. And someone from your line will always sit on the throne. I'm going to establish something greater than you had imagined. He comes to Isaiah and he gives him a vision. And he calls him and sees this grand throne room and the image of the seraphim and and all the things that are going and Isaiah is struck with his uncleanness and the Lord sends the angel and it purges him which is a, a sign of atonement and then he sends out Isaiah to speak his word in Jeremiah it begins it says now when the word of the Lord came to me the Lord comes and he calls Jeremiah to go and speak words to his people What we find time and time again throughout God's Word is He uses ordinary people. He calls ordinary people for His extraordinary purpose. He calls ordinary people. Moses was tending sheep. Abram in Genesis 12 was in Ur of the Chaldees. And he was just occupying that space. And God comes to him and says, you must go. Some 1,800 miles, an act of faith. And he says, I'm going to send you to this place. 
and I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. We find this in the Gospel of John, where over 40 times Jesus says that he's sent by the Father. And in the passage that we looked at this morning, he says, As I have been sent, so I am sending you. We see this in Mark 3.14, where G, in this account in Mark, where he's calling his disciples, he appoints 12 whom he named apostles, which in the literal Greek means sent ones. They have been given a mission, and they have been called to go and to be obedient to the Lord's calling and to step out in faith and to go to it. What I love about this passage in Mark, I'm going to read it. It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. That, he might be, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And so part of understanding the call of God upon our life is understanding what he's calling us to. God, in his wisdom and in his forbearance and in his amazing redemption, begins to call us to himself. That we would be with him. And mission begins and ends with understanding the gospel. Because the gospel is the heart of God's mission. It's been the heart of what he's been doing throughout all scripture and continues to do today. It's the way that God moves into time and space through the person of Jesus and, and, and deals with our sin. It's the way God moves and sends out Jesus to defeat the powers of evil and death. It's the way God moves and sends out Jesus to, 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 destroy, to destroy death, that it would remove its sting. God sends out Jesus to demolish barriers. Barriers between humanity and God, sin removing that, and barriers between one another. And that's so readily spoken of in the New Testament as the division between Jew and Gentile. Now that may not be as much of a concern for us today, but the question might be, where are the barriers and with whom are their barriers? And how does Jesus need to tear those down? Because that's part of the gospel. Because the goal is that God would bring about that redemption and that restoration. That he would bring about healing and shalom. Peace be with you. God has called us to himself. And we are to, to become like Jesus. As John the Baptist says, that he would decrease so that Jesus would increase. And so what we find is that when we understand the call, we understand it's the voice of the Lord reaching out to us. That he's the one initiating through his word, through a friend bringing the word to us, through the gospel in a sermon, the gospel in a, a small group, the gospel in a Bible study or in a prayer around a water cooler. It's God coming to us through the agency of his people. The agency of his people. That they are sent out on mission 
to be instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. That, that the Lord would work in mighty ways. Now, you might be sitting there and say, that sounds great. Amen. But the reality is, as the church, we're just not very good at this. Now, I'm not talking about Hilton Head Press, but it does apply to us. Because what happens is, is we begin to, to have our, our values. And, and our values creep in and they override because we look at our calendar and we see it marked out to the margins and beyond. And we say, well, I don't have time to go care for the widow and the orphan. I don't have time to go serve because I've, I've got to be out of town. My kid's got travel ball. I've got a vacation. I've got a trip. There's something that I want to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm saving up for an early retirement. I'm saving up for a kid's college fund. I'm saving up for a grand vacation. I've got things I got, want to do, God. Lord, that's great. I appreciate your call. But I've got a mission for me. And so what we have to do is we have to humble ourselves and stop and listen to the Lord. And we have to hear from Him. And what happens is we hear from Him... Uh, is this reordering of our values. And that's how God changes us for his mission. It's through the gospel and understanding what Christ has done for us, that Christ was sent for us to redeem us, to to save us from our sin, to reorder our values, to to replace our dreams and to give us better ones, to, to dream God's dreams. That he comes in and he reorders our way of being. We begin to think less of a return on investment. Because what we find in Genesis 12 is he says, I will bless those whom you bless. You cannot be a blessing without losing something. You cannot bless someone without giving something away. So God is is calling us and, and asking each of us how we would leverage our time, our resources, our talents, our giftedness, our homes, our families, our cars, our whatever, and to leverage those things for the flourishing of someone else. That we would use those in a mighty way. He's not asking us to be paupers. He's simply asking us to be kingdom-minded Christians. That we would begin to extend our flourishing for someone else. That we would understand that that we are sent out. And that we are sent out on mission to represent the Father whose grace has no end. Who who has sent out and and, and sent His Son to to, to take on flesh and to, to be present among us. That he, he came to us while we were still enemies. And He comes and, and He sits with us to redeem us, to, to change us. And then our hearts are satisfied because we understand the gospel. And, and when we understand the gospel, we want to talk about the gospel. We want to give away the gospel. We want to give away Jesus because we've seen Jesus. And so what we begin to do is rather than considering return on investment, we begin... To invest our time in someone else. And we don't look at them as a project. 
We look at them as a creature who is creating God's image, who reflects the image of our Father. And someone who needs redemption. Someone who needs restoration. Someone who just might need rest. That we invest our time and our money. We get out our wallets. We see the places in our, in our world that are broken. And we you know what? We start ministries. We find out what God's already doing and we figure out how we can get on board with it. We begin to move into those spaces. And money, what I found is, for those who have it, it can be, not always, easy to give away. But all of us have one non-renewable resource. That's our time. You don't get it back. And so many of us are hesitant to invest it. Because we, we think we know what we want to do with it. All of us are in this room because someone invested their time in us in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, the very fact that you're here means that someone's invested their time that somehow got you to this point. And we hope that you understand more fully of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And so what this means is that we have to step into that call and we have to be changed in order to, to sacrifice for the goodness and flourishing of God's people. That, that we invest ourselves, our time, our resources. And so what we find is that this is what Jesus called his disciples to do. They got together. And he says, I need you to be with me. It's beautiful in Acts when they're, when they're teaching. One of the things that's kind of, kind of said by their accusers is these people were with Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful word that could be said. This person had spent time with Jesus. That's why they look the way they do. That's why they act the way they do. That's why they behave the way they do. That's why they give away their money in the way they do. That's why they give away their time in the way that they do. That's why they sat with me in my brokenness and showed me compassion. Because they had been with Jesus. So when we understand God's mission, what we understand is His heart. To bring about redemption, to show grace to the lost. To show forgiveness to the sinner. To redeem creation to Himself. So I want you to dream with me for a minute. Mob ball is not pretty at all. It's a highly individualistic flailing of uncoordinated children. <laughs> They're growing into their own. But once they get focused on the ball and understand the dynamics of their teammates and they spend time together and they learn that coordination and that, that skill as a team, it becomes beautiful. So this church does many things well. And I'm so thankful for you. But we are not as beautiful as we ought to be. So where is it that we could grow? What is it about God's mission for Hilton Head, Bluffton, and beyond that we need to begin to consider? As we begin this, I want to start with my application is this. I want to invite you to pray. That God would give you kingdom-sized dreams about what He could do. I have said it before, I'll say it again. 
when I look at this room and I consider the resources and the talents and the gifts that are in this room, I have to stop and say, when God puts this assembly of people together, what does he want to do with it? What is his vision for us? What is his mission for us? And how can we get on board with that? And I need that for me just as much. So I want to invite you to pray. Pray that you would listen to his call for your life. Where is he calling you? What relationship does he want you to pursue? What organization does he want you to pursue? Where, where does he want you to invest yourself for the sake of Jesus? And as you do that, I want you to ask yourself even further, God, in order for me to do that, how do you need to change me? Where do I need your gospel to be big in my life? Where do I need your gospel to change the way I look at this person or that thing? Where do I need you to begin to strip away my idols of convenience and comfort and security to cause me to, to step out in faith and risk a little bit more for the kingdom? And as we do that, I want you to begin to assess Assess where in your schedule, where in my schedule, could I carve out some time to be focused on God's work in the kingdom? Where could I carve out some time to be more intentional with my children, with my coworkers, with my neighbors? Maybe I just need to learn the first and last name of the people that live on either side of me. I need to un begin to understand stories and to share meals and, and, and experiences and to begin to tell them incrementally more about the hope that I have in Christ. Where is the, the place in the community that I just simply won't go? Because they're not like me. I wouldn't know what to talk about with them. And Lord, how do you need to burden my heart and change those things so that I could assess my time, my talent, and my resources, that I could leverage those for the flourishing of someone else. And out of that, as we're praying and assessing and listening, my goal and my hope is that we would begin to engage. You see, when we hear God's call and when we look at each of these situations of Noah and Moses, of Abram, of Jesus, of the disciples, of Paul, the next step after the call is obedience. What if Abraham doesn't leave? What if Isaiah says, nah, I got something else better to do? What if Jeremiah says, you know, there's, there is judgment coming upon Jerusalem. I got, I, I got to go over here and get everything ready. What if Moses sees this burning bush and just decides, you know, that's weird. I'm moving on. You know what happens? The blessings that those individuals receive go to somebody else. Because God's purpose isn't going to be stopped. But they didn't. So God used ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things, and he sends them out. Mission is challenging. Being sent is challenging. But what would it look like 
for someone in this room, someone in this church, to decide that a place in the 1040 window needs another church. A place in East Asia needs another Christian to talk about Jesus. A place in some parts of our country that that don't hear Jesus often need to have someone step into it. That somewhere like Bluffton might need to be impacted for the gospel. Maybe beyond that. I simply throw these things out there. Because God's stirring and He's up to something. You know how I know He's up to something? Because the, the, the simple level of spiritual resistance that this church has re- received in the last three months lets me know that God's up to something and the adversary doesn't like it. And so we need to assess and we need to pray And we remember that we've been called and we are being changed because God has a mission for us. And His his mission will be accomplished. And He will bless us. And He is sending us out to be a blessing to others. And so as we are transformed, my goal is that we would live as a church in a way that reflects the beauty of our Savior. My hope is that you would dream that with me. Let's pray. Our great God and King, you loved us first and you called us to yourself. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, burden our hearts for the brokenness around us. Lord, remind us of your faithfulness And that Jesus died on the cross to redeem us from our sin. And Lord, as it tells us, Lord, he is reconciling all things to himself. So would we be agents of your reconciliation in this world? Lord, we thank you and praise you for how you're at work. Lord, would you call us deeper into it so that your name would be glorified in our homes in the places where we work and beyond. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.